Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Joe Kim from the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. Welcome to Twig 55. It's the weekly news podcast about the latest in gaming news by industry insiders. Today, we're joined by Mishka Katkoff, Adam Telfer, and who can't forget, Eric Kress. Today, we'll be talking about four articles. The first is EA Games Are Coming Back to Steam by Polygon. The second is mobile game firm Scopely Raises $200 million by Reuters. The third is 1 million players now subscribe to PlayStation Now by MCV. And we will end with Zynga posts record-setting revenues, net bookings, and Q3 by GameIndustry.biz. Also, before we begin, I wanted to apologize in advance, but in today's podcast, I want to alert you about two issues you'll find upon listening further. Uh, First, we did have a few internet issues, so some of Mishka's audio will jump a bit in spots. And secondly... Just to be honest, I'm a little bit tired of people getting mad at me for stuff I say on the podcast. Sometimes it's for things I say, and other times it's because of things Eric says, and I get in trouble by association. But in this case, today, when we speak on one of the articles about Scopely, I did mention the name of the company who I think they are going to acquire, and just out of respect, and I don't want anyone to get mad at me, we did go ahead and bleep out the name. So anyway, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Mishka, Adam, and Eric right now. Uh, I, all I know is like we're going to see each other next week. We're both yeah. heading out to Game Fest, which is an Iron Source event that they hold every year in Israel. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I think the, uh, the biggest question that we were sent before is, are we doing the ATVs in the desert or not? And uh, I believe we are, right, JK? Uh, hell yeah, dude! Of course, <laughs> and I'll, I'll I'll be taking videos of us and uh, putting oh, that on the Game Makers YouTube channel, just like oh. uh, Iron Source DPM uh, Montreal video. But um, for anyone out there, so according to Mishka, this is like <laughs> the best games conference in the industry. So if you can get out there, I would try and get out there. You know, all right, all right. Iron Force. Let let me put it this way: it's the most fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so <laughs> it's the biggest boondoggle, right? Basically, it's it's fun. I heard no, MAU is MAU's really great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm yeah. looking forward to MAU next year. <laughs> yeah. It's it's definitely it's definitely really good. It's um it's not as versatile as a lot of other game conferences because it's it's mainly focused on the user acquisition and the growth and and ad monetization that kind of stuff. But the guests are great. The events are fantastic. The location is you know amazing. And um, it's it's really 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 good. So if you ever get an invite, you should go. Hashtag second year in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag I'd, I'd love to go to Israel, man. I'd love to go to Israel. Dude, my wife would kill me for going to Israel or what? Makers and, and JK, go away for a week. Are you crazy? Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Hey, Mishka, what would you say? Yeah, so uh, what's what's been going on with Game Makers? Because we're gonna put on a lot of content from from Game Fest, but I think you had a really interesting video with Apple Arcade, right? About Apple Arcade. Uh, yeah, we did that. That's also out on the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of interesting stuff coming up. I think we want to hit Call of Duty Mobile, both for the YouTube and for the podcast. And uh, yeah, just a lot of interesting stuff will be coming up. I think. So yeah, stay tuned. Eric, you got some uh, you got some updates. No, no, it's my turn. Adam, yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll take the news. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think the big news of the week really is Call of Duty. Uh, Modern Warfare, $600 million opening within the first three days. Uh, it's definitely already become the top-selling premium game of 2019, and it's definitely the best-selling COD launch, at least on PC, ever. 
Um, comparing it to previous games in the franchise, um, Black Ops 4 was 500, World War II was 500, Black Ops 3 was 550. Um, so definitely much better than before. Comparing it to, to Black Ops 2 and Modern Warfare 3, um, those ones were measured at a different rate, uh, but those ones were roughly about 500 million as well. So Modern Warfare is looking very good. Yeah, I, this is probably going to be, as I said, I think the last podcast is, this is probably going to be the biggest Call of Duty ever, potentially, um, on a units basis. Maybe not on a dollars basis, but on a units basis uh, when all said and done, because uh, they're no longer doing expansions uh, or you know map packs and stuff. They're doing microtransactions. I still don't think they really understand how to do the monetization. So we'll we'll, we'll see how they what they do with that as going forward. But I think this will sell really well. I mean, the game, the single player is amazing. I don't know. I, I love single player, and it was just over the top. And 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 I think the rest of it's pretty well done. And the visuals are a lot better this time too. So. And there's no other games, man. It's unbelievable. There's like absolutely no games to buy this holiday, right? Besides Star Wars and Call of Duty. So those are the two, you know, big non-sports games that are out this holiday. So they have a clear slate. Mm. On the flip side, though, Call of Duty Mobile continues to struggle, in my humble opinion. (laughs) So, you know, Mm. they got down to like the $700,000 a day range for a bit there for for a few days. And um, it's it's spiked up a little bit. Basically, they're at 130 million downloads, 33 million in revenue. Uh, basically, an RPI of like 26 cents, which is pretty abysmal, in my humble opinion. Um, mm-hmm. But again, season two will likely start relatively soon, and we'll see if they have re- retained enough players to see a big spike in revenue for the new season pass. But fundamentally, they're tracking at about 50% less RPI than Fortnite was at this point, although they still have a higher downloads and higher revenue overall. But the way it's looking is that likely, ultimately, um, Fortnite will overtake it uh, as we go forward if their RPI does not improve. Um, I, I just think this, the core spending loop continues to be weak and there's lack of anything compelling to spend on. And even when they were doing live ops for Halloween events and all this other stuff, it didn't seem to have that much impact. And I think we also saw a little bit of impact from Call of Duty, what Modern Warfare uh, launching. So we'll keep tracking it, but I think I think I'm pretty safe with my bet of 150 to 200 million. So we'll see. Yeah, I think, I think Eric, you're right. I mean, I've been playing Call of Duty since day one and we play it at the studio all the time. Like we plug it into a big TV and there's a whole crowd watching as we play it. So, so we're, we're true fans of the game, but there's absolutely nothing to spend on. And when you're thinking about the battle, the season two, I think it will make even less money significantly because I bought the season pass. All of us bought the season pass who's playing this game and it's worthless. It's absolutely worthless. Like it's just, it's, there's no point in the season pass. So I'm not buying the season pass. None of us, you know, the people who play daily and enjoy it thoroughly and are the biggest fans of this game are going to buy a season pass for the second season. And not to keep go, talking about Riot, but like Riot guys got to look at this and say, oh, well, this is the most, the best possible opportunity to monetize this particular type of game on mobile and with this cosmetic economy and it's not working, right? And like, it, it, this is a testimony to the fact that not all cosmetic economies are gonna work, right? And it has to be something compelling to spend on and perhaps they can do that with their core franchises, but not with mm-hmm. something like their shooter or even their, um, the potentially the uh, action RPG they're doing, the Diablo cell game. So anyway. Yeah. 
I, I think the problem is that they don't sell anything. And when they sell something directly, it's like 40 bucks for a gun with a, with a camel. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, I'll just go and buy it. Like, like, those are the price points. So it's like 10 bucks for the season or 40 bucks for an individual gun. And, um, and, and I think Adam pointed this in the last, last episode when he was talking about the cosmetics. I mean, they're really, really bad. They're not interesting. The silhouette stays the same. There's, there's, there, it's just not worth it. I would buy still something cool if they would have something cool, if they would even sell it directly, but they don't. So, yep. It's really yeah. infuriating. They honestly, like, <laughs> they, they really leave a huge opportunity here. They have that massive golden cohort and they have, they have nothing, nothing in that shot. And I think they need yeah. to. You know, even throwing one or two like really high quality skins up there would already do a massive difference. But yeah, not, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Obvi- it's yeah. obvious that the team like they're they're strangled at some point um, for adding in that new content. And even just look at what is it, Black Ops, Black Ops Four. Look at the cosmetics that they put out through that year. There's plenty of examples there of actually like high impact cosmetics. They know how to build these. They're just not putting them in this game. All right. The next piece of news, I guess, is BlizzCon, right? That's a huge event that's happening to yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I was supposed to go, but unfortunately, my wife left for the East Coast, so I had to stay, stick around, take care of the Rugrats. Um, so they basically showed off. I think part of the problem with the BlizzCon is that everything was leaked ahead of time. So, And I already knew that this was going to happen long ago, was that they, they announced Diablo 4, Overwatch 2, the WoW expansion, and some Hearthstone auto battler nonsense, which I'll let <laughs> Adam talk about. But I think the best best thing on the floor was clearly Diablo Four. Um, they basically, my understanding is they were actually going to go third person, and that was how they were designing the game, and that's what they were going to announce last year. And ultimately, they they scrapped it and started over and went back to the isometric view because that's what everyone loves about Diablo. So what they showed seemed very very early to me. Like th- this game is long away like years and they basically said as much as well is that this is far away even on blizzard standards is what they said something along those lines so but the game looks amazing it's it's basically much darker than the previous one um and it's the same kind of gameplay uh is it, is it darkest diablo 2 and the same gameplay as level 3 something like that so i think it will do extremely well it's just not going to be out anytime soon and then they showed overwatch and i and Maybe I'm a cynic, but man, they're trying to like put story arc in in Overwatch, and it just felt so cheese and forced. I I was like, I don't know if that universe really wants a story. I mean, I think I guess there was hints to the story or, or last time, but like trying to force a story into this seems ridiculous. But the uh, notion is they'll have some single player and co op type missions as well as the multiplayer core, um, and. That game looked much further along, and my expectations is that will come out sometime next year, although they didn't announce it. And then the WoW expansion was amazing. Well, I'm very biased here, so I'm very <laughs> excited about the WoW expansion, uh, although I didn't get to, to see as much detail on that, so i got to check out some of the videos. But, um, yeah, so that's about it. Any other comments on BlizzCon? No, I think you covered it. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely take a look at this Hearthstone auto battle and see where where it fits in the auto chess kind of genre. But uh yeah, that, that was the one that perked up my ears. That was unexpected. Everything else was leaked, so it wasn't surprising. Go All right, it. so let's jump in. So EA games are coming back to Steam. Um, this was a big article this week. Um, so on PC, EA is coming back to Steam after eight years. Um, so if you've been living under a rock, EA, of course, has been operating Origin for that time, during that eight years, putting all their games as exclusive to their own launcher. 
this is coming at a time where actually most publishers are actually moving off of Steam. So as we've covered, Rockstar um, actually putting Red Dead 2 on Epic as well as into their own launcher. Activision moving everything to Battle.net, including Call of Duty. And Microsoft now owning a store across both Xbox and PC that's connected. Um, the reason, of course, is to own your players and to take back full revenue. Um, the 30% cut for the platform fee is pretty standard um, outside, of course, Epic. So if Steam isn't willing to get help you get new players, why accept that? So why would EA move back to Steam? One note, this isn't all of their games. So this is Jedi Fallen Order, Apex Legends for now, and then later this year, Sims 4 and Unravel. To be honest, that, that's so late, it doesn't really matter. And then next year, Battlefield 5 and FIFA 20. Uh, but those are pretty late in their life cycles. This stage approach actually is kind of telling of what their actual strategy is with this. Like my guess, their end game is to push players into EA access and widen the top funnel for Jedi and Apex as much as possible. And my speculation is that they uh, have definitely worked out a deal. I'm sorry, my speculation is that they worked out a deal to make financial sense for both Valve and EA because giving up 30% in this just doesn't make any sense for EA. Biggest example would be for Apex. Apex is a free-to-play game, and yes, you want to widen up the funnel, um, but this is going to be EA's only multiplayer shooter until 2021. They announced that this week. They need to execute on this, so getting more players in the funnel is good, but if Steam is taking 30% cut of all of their MZX um, and all and 30% of their units revenue on Jedi, that's a massive cut to take out of your business. And how many players are actually going to start moving from, say, Origin to Steam to play the game? This would only make sense if that percentage was considerably lower. Um, so that's, that's really the, the, the signal. And on one note here, too, in terms of the subscription, um, EA Access is what they're obviously trying to push through this, but it's there's two different subscriptions that EA offers. There's EA Access, which is the console subscription, um, but then there's also Origin Access, which is the one on PC, and the Steam one is actually selling the console version, the EA Access. Um, but yeah, let's hand it off to you guys. What do you guys think? Uh, do you think EA's decision will actually work out for them? So when I first looked at this, I really couldn't understand why Epic with their infinite bank account would allow this to happen. Because on the face of it, if you're Epic, why would you let, you know, these key titles, Jedi Fallen Order or Apex go to Steam? But then when you check the fine print, so I kind of agree with you, Adam, that this is this might be more of like a like more of a marketing player to get people to, you know, EA access into origin. And and so it might be more of a marketing distribution play. So what, what wasn't widely publicized is that actually in order to, to play Jedi Fallen Order, you can buy it on Steam, but then you must also download and install the Origin client and then link the accounts. So for me, this, this feels like more of a co-promotion of two companies that are looking at uh, Epic and, and basically saying to each other, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, basically. So that, that that's my take. What, what do you think, Eric? I think you're reading a little bit too much into it. I mean, I think I agree with it is a top of the funnel type thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know if EA is really staying up at night worrying about Epic at this point, but maybe a little bit. I don't know. Um, I think actually it's more likely that they'll do the same deal with Epic, frankly. Um, okay. So what, what? at the end of the day, I think, you know, Steam is kind of on the ropes to some degree. I mean, they're losing huge tenants for their mall, right? So it's like, 
you know, and EA's goal is basically to push these subscriptions. You know, that's all, uh, you know, the CEO is about. So I think fundamentally they just have more leverage with Steam right now and can do the deal that they want to do and get their games on there and share share player data and get them subscribed to EA Access. Um, and I think fundamentally people just don't really understand Steam. You know, they're not the benevolent retailers, you know, that people talk about it all right they're notoriously tough to deal with they're really stuck on that 30 percent for years and years and years they were unwilling to share player level data um and back in the day when they were on top they would have never allowed this to happen you know ea to sell subscriptions on their service no way i don't imagine that ever happening and in their defense you know they had the relationship with their customer right they it's the most valuable asset that they had right they were close to 85 percent market share on pc for a while right and so they all had all the leverage on the publishers and they called the shots, right? So you fast forward, and you have all these major platforms, uh, sorry, publishers leaving the platform like EA, Activision, Ubisoft, Take-Two even. Um, and then Epic comes along with all their Fortnite money and says, screw you, Steam. We're undercutting you by more than half, right? And he puts you in a different place in the negotiation table, you know? So... Again, Andrew Wilson is all about subscriptions. And, you know, he's currently, I think, at 5 million subs. If you can get it to 10 to 20, you know, he's accomplishing his goal of, you know, pushing subscriptions. So I guess my guess is they just signed a sweetheart deal with EA um, where they're probably getting like a 10% to 15% type cut, uh, Steam is, um, and they get all the data on the customer. And then, Again, as you said, they were gonna. Uh, you, you must actually sign up for Origin in order to play games on Steam, EA games on Steam. So in some ways, it's a win-win. You know, they they likely get a deal they would never have gotten back when Steam was there, but now Steam has EA games on their service, and EA has another place in which they can sell their stupid subscriptions. And actually, in defense of this subscription, these subscriptions are actually quite interesting because they are more about like supporting the the new games as opposed to like kind of focus on the old games so you get early access to uh the game and then you get special promotions and discounts on currency etc cetera, etc cetera. so if you look at the, the the components of that subscription you know the the cheap 30 30 subscription there's certain value there for the customer as opposed to just relying upon catalog games that no one ever plays so anyway so win 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 i think overall and uh and uh, EA is pushing, continue to pushing subscriptions. Scopely. So Scopely raised two hundred million uh, last week, but that's not the uh, that's not the key news because they they raised till point I think like four four hundred fifty million. But the key point here was that the company was valued at one point seven billion dollars uh, during this D round, and that's a that's a really high mark for uh, for any company. So. First of all, like if you're if you're interested to hear more about Scopely, uh, we actually me and JK did a, did a, a fun podcast episode with their co CEO Javier Ferreira, and you can find this episode either on on the podcast series. Just scroll down quite a lot, or you can just go to Deconstructor of Fun and search for Scopely, and you'll find an article as well as the podcast. So if you want to dive deeper, but to kind of summarize it, summarize Scopely in a way. I would, their their approach is is has has three focus areas. So they start off with a you know a good studio, uh, an excellent studio ecosystem which can deliver genre leading long term products. 
um, in a way you can call it a genre mastery, but most importantly, the way you have to look at it is it allows them to build a diversified portfolio, which is really important on mobile because, you know, you never know when, when big games are going to launch and then that quarter or even long-term success of your game is, is not viable because all the, uh, all the, you know, users are going towards that game. So glue is a good example of, of being hurt by, by the rise of, of these sort of narrative driven um, puzzle games, even though they don't have any of those, just Kardashian and Design Home. But anyways, so Studio Ecosystem is one, so diversified portfolio. The second part that they, they're really proud of is, is their tech platform that allows them to scale and sustain games. So basically the, the tech platform is game engines, game services, in a way like tournaments and leaderboards and whatnot that you can add. Um, but most importantly, they value the tech platform because the, it allows the studios or the teams to focus on you know, making the game versus building the tools and building the tool sets and then look UA marketing segmentation, machine learning, and so forth. And finally, they, they've kind of marked as, as their third leg of, of, of their strategies, the, uh, the, the operating system, you know, uh, which is in their case processes and the talent they acquire as well as the company culture. So this is, you know, their communication and, um, I have to say their, their structure, the structure of, of Scopely is very unique. Uh, it's, a, it's a franchise, they have these franchise-based teams, um, which, which basically the way it works is you have a team in, in LA in their HQ, and then you have a team that is making a game in a game studio remotely. So for example, you might have a team that is working on Star Trek Fleet Command in LA, but you also have a team in Digi Studios in, in, uh, in Dublin working on it. And the person in charge is actually the one in LA, like the ultimately in charge. Of course, they work together and, and so forth. And the second part is what you would notice in the companies that it's very IP driven. That might be just, you know, because they're in LA and, and maybe they have uh, better access to IPs. But nevertheless, most of their games are with an IP. So I kind of pulled in some numbers to, to kind of, you know, describe the road, how they got into this valuation from 2014 to 2019. And it's a it's a it's a quite significant growth till this point. So in 2014, they had only one game that was kind of you know bringing most revenue. That was Dice with Buddies, and the net revenues peaked around 1.5. You go to 2015, the net revenues are already 7.5, so six million more per month. And they have a new game, which is The Walking Dead, and they kind of move Dice with Buddies with a new version of Yahtzee. And and that that's basically what what Zynga does with 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 friends franchises that they you know do new words with friends with better e economy and that allows better monetization. Anyway, next year they go from seven point five to twelve million in net revenue a month with uh, with the launch of a Wheel of Fortune as well as the growth of the existing games, the Walking Games and the Yahtzee. Two thousand seventeen they go from twelve to fourteen because they launched WWE Champions. Then 2018, you have Star Trek Fleet Command as well as Looney Tunes, and the net revenue doubles to 22.5, million a month. Uh, you know, and and currently the uh, the net revenue is still hovering around that 20, so a little bit lower than than during the peak months, and that is due to actually quite a rapid decline for Walking Dead game, which is you know quite old already, as well as Looney Tunes, which was actually uh, you know launched in 2018. So when you look at their portfolio, they're, they're essentially few games. You have Star Trek, which is kind of leading the, um, the, the, the revenue. So it brings a third of the revenue of the company. And you have Yahtzee, which is the old kind of like a, 
forever franchise, if you will, the first game that, that really flew for them in terms of Dice with Buddies, and now it's Yahtzee, and that's 20%. You got WWE, which is stable, declining, uh, declining basically fourth of the portfolio, which is Looney Tunes and Walking Dead. So they raised nine rounds, uh, overall 460 million. Uh, they are making about 250 million in net revenue a year with about 50 million installs. Uh, five of their games, which I just described, generate 90% of the revenues and two out of five are declining. And you also have to look at Star Trek Fleet Command. It's a it's a really, truly great game. It's really, really fun to get in. But, you know, JK and I are, are quite big 4X game players. And um, that game, though it delivers incredible accessibility and just fantastic combination of, of, of IP with... Um, with the game, basically, it's just the IP really works. It doesn't really deliver on what a 4X game is. And in the sense, there's there's not that much PvP action. There's not that much community action. So uh, personally, I haven't stayed with the game as I as I stayed with other 4X games. It was fantastic at the beginning, but I kind of don't see the uh, the long-term uh, interest in that game. It's just there's no competition uh, to you know, to pull me in. So that, that puts a little bit of a, a question mark on, on what is the long-term success of Star Trek, because it might have really low CPIs and it might have pretty great early monetization because it's just fun to get in and build your bases and whatnot. And the characters are familiar and it's fast progress, but there's kind of nothing afterwards. Um, yeah. Um, so, so it kind of, you know, unless, but, but on the other hand, Scopely has been really great at finding new partners, finding new studios, launching new games. So they might have another huge game in, in, in the back pocket, but it is a little bit of a question mark why they raised 200 million when they're making so much, when they're making 20 million net revenue a month uh, with these existing games. So yeah, Eric, please tell me why. Uh, I don't know where to start here. You know, I usually don't pull punches, but I really like some of these guys at Scope. Yeah. But <laughs> I have to draw the line at the valuation though. One, 0.7 billion just seems absurd and ridiculous. I, I just can't get there. Um, so let's start on the positive side as we always do, and then we'll get to the negative afterwards. So, <laughs> so they have done an absolutely remarkable job of finding games in the marketplace, like finding the right teams to partner with. I think Star Trek, Walking Dead, Looney Tunes, sort of Yahtzee. And I think they're working on a, um, a Scrabble game, which looks pretty solid. Maybe that's part of their pipeline. And so, you know, they have some great games and Henry and the team, you know, have signed up some solid teams that have really delivered and, and executed against licenses and, and, the, and the game. So, I mean, I give them mad props for that because I think that's mm -hmm. a really challenging thing to do in the marketplace, something that Kabam really had struggled with, frankly. Um, but again, they've also not only like partnered with these teams, but they've also in that partnership managed these teams and put in monetization design that's actually worked. And again, very challenging to do. I do think the acquisition of Digit, I think the guys that made the Star Trek game is actually a good step in the right direction to create value. Um, uh, because part of my issue with them is they really don't own a lot of the development. So they're always, um, you know, you know, they don't have the means of production, right? They're basically partnering with outside developers, right? So, and the other positive they have is Walter Driver, right? Walter Driver, the CEO, have you seen this guy? I think he is probably the most handsome man in video gaming, right? <laughs> and he's even more handsome than the debonair British CEO, Andrew Wilson, you know, with the EA BMI and all that stuff. I think the guy is absolutely a master salesman. And I, I met with him only a couple of times and I, 
and I didn't see this, you know, this this type of pitch that he does, but evidently it's masterful, right? <laughs> and he's super handsome, super like engaging, and I think he is probably the reason that they maintain this level of uh, fundraising over the years because I think he can sell the vision, you know. Um, so I think that's kind of, you know, my thinking about why you know, they are where they are right now, but on the negative, and I really apologize to Henry, who I really do like, um, 1.7 billion, are you out of your goddamn mind, right? Like, what exactly do these guys have, right? They have like a $250 million run rate net, right? You gross that up to 400, which is super generous, and we're talking about four and a, half, four and a quarter times revenue? I mean, you take out licenses, you take out development, you take out UA, and the, and the development costs, GA, they must be break even at best, right? And they're raising at a 1.7 billion valuation. It is insane, you know? Um, and they've raised, yeah, over $400 million to date. I mean, that's even more than Kabam, right? Which was also pretty egregious on the raising. Um, and, and the biggest problem they, is they don't have their own developers, you know? And as, as I said before, you know, Digit's a great step in that direction, they really need to acquire their development teams. You know, they, they, you can't value them based on distribution. Like it doesn't make sense. You know, if they don't own the means of production, you know, they, they, there's just too, too much risk there. Um, and frankly, that's what the small giant Graham games and even Kabam deal was all about. It was all about uh, the development teams and the capability of building more content and owning the means of production, right? And then the last thing, and I think this will be a little bit more controversial, is I'm a little bit concerned as of the type of investor that they're getting on this, right? I'd be far more comfortable if they were getting people like Andreessen or Graycroft to come in at this valuation round. But unfortunately, they, they have someone like New View Capital, which represents Canadian pension, fan, pension funds, right? Who I can't imagine are the most sophisticated investors when it comes to investing in this type of space so whoa, it makes me a whoa, little whoa, bit whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well I, that's not a dig on canadians that's just a dig on pension plans right okay um, good let's clarify that <laughs> so anyway so in order to really justify you know this kind of valuation they really need something in the pipeline that's like a triple or a home run right something that basically delivers 250 to 300 million a year in revenue right something that will basically double their run rate um, something that's also scalable and profitable, right? But I think that's a huge challenge in this market today. Um, and, you know, $200 million that they raise, is just not a lot of money to go out there and get anything, right? You know, Graham Games or Small Giant, they'd be way out of, out of the mix on those. So I, d I just can't justify this type of valuation at this point for these guys. And, uh, and you know, I'm hoping to be proved wrong. And I, and I really do respect Henry and the rest of those guys and, and what they've accomplished. But um, I think they're setting themselves up uh, for some tough times ahead if if uh, they don't find a big hit soon. So that's kind of my quick take. Again, sorry, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from from my perspective, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak to Scopely's business or games, but like like you, I like a lot of their guys. Uh, probably know more at the operational level rather than at the at the higher levels. Besides, let's say Henry, who I, I think is an awesome guy and, and does a great job. Uh, but I will say, generally speaking, they do have a lot of good people there. And I, I can't speak in terms of like the PM team, guys like Jory Pearsall, who I believe built that team up over there. And you know, one of the best guys at NBC Universal was a PM who formerly worked at Scopely, and they did a good job of training him up. So anyway, like from my perspective, I think it's great news for the industry, good news for LA, which I think could definitely use more good news. 
as far as like the 200 million, I, I think it was earmarked specifically for M&A. The question though is who else is left out there? I mean, we've got we've got guys like Frank Jabot who was on CNBC talking about how much of a huge opportunity is left in M&A, but you know, I think we only I think we've already discussed this before on the podcast. I think it probably has, you know, one specific uh, acquisition target left. And then after that, it's, it's pretty much slim pickings. And so from a scopely perspective, who are the viable targets? And in my mind, there's really only two, right? There's, there's Fox next or now Fox next as we've talked about before, probably not a likely target for a public company. So maybe, maybe if they can get restructured, you know, maybe, who knows? Maybe that might be a potential target for them. But I, I kind of think, and so I'm, I'm going to call it here that I, I, I think Scopely is probably going to. So, just to be what clear, is, I what have, is it with what is with you and all this like <laughs> talking about M and A all the time? You're, uh, you're always <laughs> having speculations on M and A. That, that's hey, you know, I used to play um, <laughs> a lot of poker back in my past, and and so I, I try to put my. I try to put myself in the place of these guys at these different companies and think about what they would do, right? So if maybe, I was Zynga, what would I do? If I was or if I was uh, Scopely, what would I do? Well, I, I think why wouldn't to they be just... clear, I don't have inside information, but when you look at like a company like, for example, you know, company that focuses on IP-based games and you see that the strategies are largely aligned. And then you think about for a company like Scopely, they're probably going to have to get a company that is operationally efficient. And so that's why I kind of think that they go for more of a, of a company that, you know, has a, has a good management team while run like, but um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think. I, I, you know what? I think you've missed your true calling. You should have been an M&A banker, right? Because you're just all about like just throwing it out there, right? And maybe you're, you should be pitching all these companies on what they should buy, right? I, I think he should. Know. I think he could be. Like, we, the, I mean, now is the time, JK. Yeah. You just yeah. can't carry your that's camera right, everywhere. Any banks out there, feel free to reach out to me. Yeah, you're anyway. in a professional transition. Good good time to go. Um. Yeah, I guess to compare to Eric's notes, right? Like, what's more likely? They, they try to acquire the developers that they're already working with. Um, or they pick up uh, an external, completely new, like. I, but Frank is not a big enough scale. I mean, they have like what five million a month or something. They I only raised two hundred million. So that's that's the other consideration, right? It's like, okay, you put yourself in Scopely's shoes, see how much money they have, and who can they go after? I mean, there, there's there's just this is process of elimination, guys. There's not there's not no, and that's that's true. And I said, as I said, the two hundred million is just not enough to really buy something of scale, right? So. I think the two, like in my opinion, the two hundred million is just to to grow the existing games. I, I think uh, I think we were previously talking with J.K. about uh, Star Trek, and um, and you know Eric is all happy about it. He's looking at the numbers, and I think the numbers are good. But I think that game is a CPI play in the sense that uh, the 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 revenue of that uh, the average revenue per paying user is not as high as with other four X games. Uh, let's say like even Game of Thrones, but the CPIs are really low. So it has to be, uh, I think it's, it's a CPI game, which is, you know, it still makes it a successful product, but just, I, I don't see that game sustaining in the same way as, as, as some of these others. Um, what the, the fuck I mean, are you guys looking at? This thing has man, been, this, we're been not look- dude, this thing has been so consistent. It's like, it, it's hardly any downloads. The revenue is like, just keep going and going and going. It's because these super nerdy Star Trek guys love this thing, right? I mean, the overlap, as I said many times, the overlap between spenders and Star Trek fans is high. 
right? Yeah, but <laughs> you know, Eric, Eric, I've I've just seen this. I've, I've seen it doesn't make the game unsuccessful. I've seen this before. There are games that are successful because their CPI is low. But if you would look only at the KPIs of a game, and I would tell you this game makes you know fucking half a million to a million a day, you'd be like, no fucking way with these retention numbers. And I'll be like, yeah, well, check the CPI, and you would see. So I think this is that kind of a product. There are these games and, you know, I, I without mentioning them. It has a $25 RPI in US, right? I mean, anyway, all right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, there's an article about PlayStation Now, which was in conjunction with their earnings release from Sony that was basically saying they have 1 million subscribers paying for PlayStation Now. Now, this is on the cusp of reducing their subscription rate from $100 to $60, right? So basically, now the games on the service are worth $0.08 versus $0.12 per, right? So anyway, more devaluation of content in my view. Anyway, so on top of this, they announced that uh, they have 130 PlayStation 4s in the wild, which, so after five years, they have basically less than 1% install, uh, sorry, 1% penetration on their install base. So not the best uh, metrics out there as what, from my perspective anyway. From what I understand, only 50% of the people actually use the service in any given month and the churn is horrendous. So um, basically I think, and I'm stealing from someone on, on the podcast, I apologize, but they, they basically put God of War in there and that probably is what drove a lot of the uptick from I think the six to 700,000 range to the million. So fundamentally this service is a big failure, right? Um, and, and they're just throwing out these press releases just to basically, I don't know why, <laughs> honestly, it's just kind of r- ridiculous. Um, uh, and fundamentally their technology is terrible and the discovery of games is brutal because they have like 800 games in the service. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't think anybody's really interested in this service and I wish we'd just stop talking about it because I think they should basically shut down and do something else because it's just not working. Um, and as I said earlier in the podcast, I think EA's origin service is a little bit more interesting because it takes, it provides, it does provide access to catalog, but it also provides benefits to new games that are coming. And that's what people care about are new games, not this catalog old crap. Right. And so, um, you know, they give like EA origin gives access to like FIFA, uh, early access to FIFA discounts on the games, discounts on the currency. It just makes more sense for those fans that just love those games but fundamentally playstation now is it's just a disaster and they spent tons of money on acquiring gaikai and they spent tons of money trying to market this thing and get players in but the subscription service is terrible the tech is terrible and there's way too many games so uh let's just put a fork in it it's done right and (laughs) and and move on that's my my thinking here what do you guys think yeah um Especially on this God of War thing, like how they basically just cherry pick the dates to try to make these dates look good or these numbers look good. It's just, it just seems like continually they're trying to prop up these services and make them seem like they're really, really performing well, but they're not. And I think the the one actually way you can track this is uh, gumstat.com. Um, it's like a public website that looks at MAUs for PlayStation games. Uh, that's gamstat.com. Uh, you can basically sum up the MAUs for all the games that are within PS Now and offered within PS Plus. And you can kind of see what the influx in new players are and just how many players actually stick around playing it. And that's basically the the MAU of the service. Um, 
like, uh, was it in September, you could see Last of Us. So Last of Us was on PS Plus, um, which is not PS Now, just to, you know, because everybody has to have their own weird acronyms. Um, Last of Us got about 2.3 million new players in September from going on PS Plus. God of War, which is a newer game, went into PS Now, re received 500K new players in September. Um, so that kind of gets you to that number that Eric was talking about, about 50% of people actually being active in PS Now, even when probably arguably the biggest game, God of War, gets added to the service. And yeah, you just got to watch the Mao over the next few months about those collective games to see if people actually start engaging with them. And I would actually look at things like new players jumping into those other games, because I think Eric's completely right. Just the the quality of games that are in that service, even when they throw games like God of War in there, are just not high enough, and there's just not enough content to retain players. Um, but I think the more interesting point and interesting article over the last couple of weeks was actually re relating to Microsoft's Game Pass. Um, they had a similar article out, touting its performance. Um, but the big things that they were trying to drive was that somehow players coming into Game Pass were actually engaging more with games outside the pass which I'm pretty sure they're just looking at biased data sets. Um, <laughs> it was a pretty, pretty awkward article, I would say. And it was carefully placed right at the same time that they launched Gears 5 for that service. And I think like that was an interesting play, right? Like Gears 5 was day and date launched inside of Game Pass and launched fully to the market. Um, so you had the option of, you know, either do you want to spend 60 bucks and buy Gears 5 or do you want to spend 15 bucks a month and get Game Pass or do you just want to use the free trial that everybody seems to have? And I think in the end, they're probably going to lose a lot of money uh, for that. And I think with Gears 5, they're talking about something like 3.5 million um, people playing it within the Game Pass service. And I'm wondering just how many of those was actually cannibalized from the base game sales. Because, yeah, in that game, the story was great, but the multiplayer is just not an Apex or not a Call of Duty. So it's very likely that Gears 5 in the past will be a commercial failure because people come in, engage with it, and then just jump right out. Because I just don't see long-term engagement in that multiplayer or the MTX offering actually being something that builds up live upside. Yeah, I, I would love to see the stats on that. I'm sure they cannibalize the crap out of themselves, right? With the with gears. Hey, by the way, the other thing that we didn't mention about Ubisoft is that um, with <laughs> their Game Pass, anybody that paid $180 for the subscription was anchored on Ghost Recon, right? Which was a terrible game. Can you imagine how pissed off they are? You know that they they actually got into this Game Pass, and then on top of it. That game sucks, right? And then all the games that they're expecting Q1 in, in the March quarter are all gone to who, know, who knows where, right? You know, like that whole, the whole value proposition of that pass is just gone, right? If you're a big Ubisoft fan. So anyway, lots of risks associated with this if you can't deliver content on, on a regular basis. Um, yep. All yeah. five of those Ubisoft fans are very, very upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm just, I, I just pointing it out because I think... Um, I think again, if if you're trying to deliver service, you got to deliver the goods, man. You know, you look at Apple TV, right? The only reason they had they had to give that thing away for free because they have two shitty, you know, <laughs> shows that are releasing with this thing, right? It's ridiculous. Um, you know. Anyway, whatever. All right, moving on. <laughs> or, or do you have any comments? Uh, I don't have much out here. I, I'm with you guys though that this is not working, and it's like that famous Einstein quote on the definition of insanity. They just need to try something different. So, 
for me, I, I think to your point, Eric, on um, on taking cues from Origin or or even something like GameStop, you know, like offering early access discounts, maybe even a gaming magazine like GameStop does. But if it were me, I would probably try a completely different model, just scrap it and try something new, maybe something like the, the Audible model where you're getting credits against a digital library on, you know, single titles rather than having access to the full library or something. I mean, but yeah, it, it just seems like they need to just completely stop you know, take a like, you know, blank slate kind of approach and, and, and see where it goes from there. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately Google white labels this shit and, and, and Sony signs up for it because Microsoft has their own tech with Azure, the Azure or whatever. Um, so they use that tech from Google, they partner up and then they create another type of service and, and, and maybe that'll be competitive like five, 10 years from now or something, who knows. But right now, just just stop. Sony, just stop with the PS. But that would please. be so perfect. That was like you have the pairing of content from Sony with the technology from Google, right? Exactly. That's what they should have done from the get-go. Why are they trying to build their own service at Google? It's ridiculous. Like it's just it's just not gonna happen, you know. Anyway, moving on All to right. a more last, positive article. Last article. Zynga posts record setting revenues, net bookings in Q3 by gamesindustry.biz. Yay, Zynga. Yeah, so Zynga <laughs> had a good quarter. Record quarterly revenues of 345 million, which is up a whopping 48% year over year, and record bookings of 395 million, up 59% year over year. 95% of that revenue is from mobile. Um, the big rise in revenue bookings, primarily driven by Empires and Puzzles and Merge Dragons. Merge Dragons in particular saw revenue rise 815% year over year, and bookings up 281%. Having said all that, from a Dow perspective, mobile Dows were actually down 1% year over year. And Zynga also posted a record net income of $230 million. But just be aware that's really from the sale of the SF building through the sale leaseback, which we have talked about a bunch before on this podcast. So if not for the building, Zynga would have posted another losses quarter. And final point here is um, more, you know, so uh, CEO Frank Chabot continues to talk up uh, the, the com company improving margins. And strangely, it seems like he's been focusing on two things, or at least two things I'm seeing in my uh, LinkedIn um, feed, which is one, him on CNBC talking up um, acquisitions. And uh, it, the quote from the article, he, he says, we have the potential to further scale the business through acquisitions that accelerate our current growth trajectory. And as we kind of talked a little bit about earlier in this podcast, um, we've already speculated here on the podcast about who that next acquisition is going to be. But after that, it's it's pretty slim pickings, right? I, I don't know if you guys, you guys agree with me on this, right? Like there won't be anything out there in the short term after that. And then number two, uh, he was also on CNBC talking up 5G leading to kind of vaguely worded, exciting new opportunities um, in a similar way that Andrew Wilson talks about subscriptions. So I don't know if any listener out there can explain to me this whole thesis on 5G, please let me know. But I, I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head on this. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the 5G either. <laughs> it just seems obscene. Not yeah. obscene. Eric, no, it's just, yeah. So, okay. I want quick correction here. So they are profitable. You have to look at it on a, on a non-gap basis. And they are about sitting at like between 18 and 20% EBIT margins, which is pretty good. Um, Zynga, they just had a great quarter. Uh, I'm, I am feeling really good about them for the next 12 to 18 months um, from a coverage perspective. 
I think they're in a position and they have this flexibility to put out games when they want because they don't need it to hit their revenue projections. So they're, that, that, that's a very nice place to be, right? Um, it also allows them to tinkle with Farmville to get that optimized. Um, and, and I see the metrics for Farmville looking a little bit better now and, and kind of pretty good for a simulation game. So um, they can build in more and more content to keep people players engaged for longer and more features and monetization design. So they're just in this like really great position where they don't have to release things right now. Um, the other positive thing we saw some impact from Merge Dragons with when Merge Magic released, but so far it's stacking pretty well. And I think again, this is their biggest risk, risk going forward is that the puzzle series and the Merge Merge series cannibalizes each other. Uh, but right now it looks pretty positive, so I'll keep tracking that. The only really nagging issue is profitability. So they would not commit to short to medium term improvement in profitability. So you know, basically. If in in absolute case, they're growing revenue basically sixty to sixty five percent this year, year over year, primarily because of Merge Dragons and, and Puzzle, um, but their UA is growing by one hundred and fifteen percent. So their real or marketing UA. So the real question is whether they can get a return on this investment going forward. If they stop or slow down UA, can they continue to generate revenue and improve profitability? Right. So. That still remains unclear. And then um, the new games require more investment. So because they're pushing out these games, um, they're not spending all the money to for, for UA. So it increases short-term profitability, but may reduce profitability in 2020. So that's my biggest issue with this, te- this company right now is, is the profitability story. Um, I do think Frank is kind of sandbagging both revenue and profitability, and they likely have lots of levers to impact on both. So they should continue to beat, um, continue to beat and raise expectations. But again, they need to get from the eighteen to twenty percent profitability to twenty-five to thirty percent profitability to really make this a super compelling story. Um, and I think they can do that. Uh, it's just really unclear to me at this point. So stock is all at an all-time high right now. Um, I'm feeling pretty good about myself uh, for making a good call on this company. But I really do still think this stock can be over, you know, at the ten-dollar price range over the next twelve to eighteen months given the pipeline and, and, and performance on their portfolio, but, um, but we shall see. So, so Eric, why, why, sh- I mean, why 10, like, why, why would the stock double? Like, because given I the think, pipeline, so I the think, new games that are coming in. Yeah. Yeah. So again, the story was, is they've gone from like 700 million to 900 million to a billion five this year to a billion, eight billion, nine next year to 2.2 billion in revenue the following year. So if they can grow at that pace, which I think that is actually the easy thing for them to achieve, but then get to the 25 to 30% profit margins, then their, their EPS would justify, you know, 20 times 50 cents or something like that, which they could probably earn on the out year. Then they're justified $10. Does that make sense? That's how valuation works, right? So if they can get to 50 cents yeah, yeah. and they're yeah, worth yeah, 20 yeah. times, then it's worth $10. But um, that's the, that's where they're headed. I mean, there's, Lots of execution risk along the way, but I think they're in a pretty good position. All right, let's talk execution risk. So, um, if we kind of go back to the Scopely, uh, Scopely, you know, deconstructor, whatever, uh, it's kind of four things that make a good company in a way. You have to have the mastery to build the good games, you have to have the tools and resources to scale the games, uh, you have to be able to grow and sustain the games through live services, and you have to have a diversified portfolio. And Zynga has all this on paper. Uh, when we look at their portfolio during the last year, we can see that 
pretty much every quarter they would increase their revenues by between three to five percent. That accounts to overall, I think, like 15 percent increase throughout the year, while the installs have been stable at around 12 million a month. And of course, this is looking only at their in-app purchase revenues. I have no, you know, no visibility on how they're doing on that monetization side. And they do have pretty big games for that as well. Uh, they do have a broad and diversified portfolio. There's casino, racing, simulation, puzzle, puzzle RPG, word games, you name it. Uh, but, you know, uh, Eric, you were saying that, that they're, you know, you base your evaluation by their future pipeline. Uh, and not everything that they've been making has been a hit. Like Willy Wonka didn't really fly. That was a match three games. I was looking at the, uh, the Game of Thrones casino, and I think it, it got a pretty much the same reception as the last season uh, of, the, of the show. Uh, then you have um, 50% of the revenues for the for the company coming in from from Merge Dragons and Empires and Puzzles, two two companies that that uh, Graham Games and, and Small Giant that 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 Zynga acquired. And now both of the games are doing clones. So Merge Kingdoms uh, from from Graham Games, which launched globally a few months ago, and Puzzle Combat, which is in soft launch from Small Giant, and. I'm not sure if I know any company that has been successful on a long run with uh, with a cloning strategy. Uh, you know, there's a case of Kabam when they were doing the strategy games. There's a lot of other different companies that that do a clone of their game, and usually the clone just works worse. And if you keep doing those clones, and they they will actually hurt you. And I was looking at at a at a Graham Games portfolio. I mean, these guys have been merging. There's Merge Kingdoms, Merge Towns, Merge Gems, Merge Town, Merge, Merge of War, Merge Factory, and finally Merge Magic at, at 4.1 million in the U.S. currently making. So it's revenue per downloads at about 2.2 in the U.S. Not the first Merge game. And, you know, there, there's a there's an origin story for the uh, Merge Dragons as well that it wasn't perhaps made in, in Graham. Uh, it was maybe acquired, but I don't know. I think that's a, that's an industry rumor. I won't go any deeper. JK can, can figure it out because he's the... Uh, <laughs> He's the, he's the M&A and rumor guy nowadays. <laughs> and um, and then you have to look at Small Giant. So they have Puzzle Combat in soft launch since May. Literally the same game. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Puzzles and Empires. Uh, I, it, you know, it's it, it's quite cheap and, and simple, but I think that's what why it has been resonating so well with, a, with larger audiences. So personally not a fan, but I understand why the game is so good. And Puzzle Combat, the only difference is that the cheapo fantasy assets have been changed with cheapo uh, military assets. <laughs> I mean, and that is by no offense. Like, that is their literal strategy. It's not like, even if you talk to the guys, they, they don't take offense in that. That's, that's their whole, whole approach. You know, get, get there fast and you don't have to be polishing pixels. Just make, make the product. So that's, that's not a knock on Small Giant in any way. And, um, you know, you look at revenue per download in Canada currently, it's a dollar and, and, What's scariest of that is that the revenue per download for, for Puzzle Combat has been declining, and it was actually at the highest at 2.2, and now it's 1. So they sell launched in a lot of different countries as well. There's UK at 0. 0.6 revenue per, uh, revenue per download, so net revenue per download. So it's, it's not – I mean, again, I'm not the biggest fan of Puzzle and Empires, and when I, when I play this game, I'm like, okay, this is the same game with the, with the same annoying art style, so I'm, I'm, I'm just not taking, but – but I also have a lot of people who play puzzle RPG games and they're not, you know, too, too big on this. So it's a question mark whether this clone will actually fly. So, you know, the big question is that where's the next needle mover going to come in? 
And of course, merged dragons and hopefully merged kingdoms are, are uh, merged magic. Sorry, there's so many merges. Hopefully, merged magic is is gonna is gonna grow, and that will put them forward. But but Eric, you're talking about doubling of revenue, and and all I see is like, you know, I I don't see that next big hit. And there's of course Farmville three, which has a pretty good uh, early numbers, but you know, hopefully that does well. I know JK has been playing it. I've played it a little bit. But again, it's hard to say. I'm not, not, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting take on a farming game, but is it going to be the, the biggest farming game? And there's Township just wrecking havoc in simulation. Mishka, you're killing me here, dude. Like, why? I, I, <laughs> you, you make me scared for the future of Rovio at this stage. Um, why? Because you're, cause you're misinterpreting a lot of things here. I, I, okay. I, I mean, I understand that there's certain like cannibalization risks, but we're actually seeing the market show that there's no cannibalization. And then when you look at games like Puzzle Combat and 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 their other puzzle game, these games are minting money, man. They're minting money. They're making twenty million a month. You know, like you can't hope for a better success than that on these type of games. I mean, it's super niche and and like they're super hardcore guys that are spending tons of money on these games. But that's the type of game that you want, right? Those are the games that scale and. And Puzzle Combat is like doing a dollar RPI in, in Canada, like the tier one English countries, which is what you want to see from a game like this. And meanwhile, they're just kind of optimizing against it. So anyway, I, 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 I and, and, and I think that actually the Game of Thrones casino game is actually tracking quite well in terms of these type of games. Like they scale, it takes a longer time to scale and, and, and generate revenue. But, but everything's firing on all cylinders here with Zynga. There's really no, no issue. Now, there is the, the cannibalization risk is totally true, right? There are situations in which cannibalization has occurred, but there are situations in which it hasn't. And that again is is for for Kabam, the cannibalization did not occur, and for uh, Machine Zone, cannibalization did not occur. And so, I think there's precedent that these games will not cannibalize each other, and so far they're not, right? And uh, and we shall see. Um, yeah, but I think Mr. makes a good point in that. Like, can you sustain this? the same rate of, of growth and some of these games i think uh you know to your point on on ua spend uh you know outpacing revenue i i would i suspect there's 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 maybe some issues for some of their games moving forward i mean i, I won't be specific on which but um i, I i'm gonna have to agree with mishka in the sense that continuing this rate of growth is is going to be is going to be challenging and you know maybe maybe well, they continue to address that through additional acquisitions and you know we so, but, but again they don't need to grow at 60 percent next year right all they need to do is grow at like 20 percent or whatever it is i can't even think of the math right now so 1.5 1.5 to 1.8 or 9 next year okay. and uh yeah. i think that's I mean, actually easy with this new plan and Eric, you're 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 polarizing everything. I didn't say that Zynga doesn't have like Zynga is doing poorly. I'm I was just asking like, what does it take to get to twelve? And you say pretty much doubling of the run rate. And I was like, all right. So if we're talking about doubling, uh, that's a that's a questionable. And then Kabam didn't didn't cannibalize itself. I remember when Kabam was launching a new forex game pretty much every month with new theme. And in the end, um, you know that didn't work too well for them. No, no, no. But the issue didn't, was not cannibalization at all. The issue was they blew up their economies, right? The same way that Machine Zone did. We talked about this before. It's like, it's a completely different issue, right? That, that, that came up. But if you look at The Hobbit and Kingdoms of Camelot and Dragons of Atlantis, which are all three exactly the same stupid game, right? 
they they didn't cannibalize each other at all. There was actually no overlap in terms of audience, at, fundamentally, um, because I just think there's different interests for different themes that 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 uh, kind of bring, bring yeah, different yeah. audiences. And but I, I, but I have to do it. Sorry, how much JK. additional growth there's going to be, right? Like twenty yeah, percent sounds fine. Doubling, I think, is <laughs> and I, and I have to say for for like one thing, like okay, so Hobbit came in later. And that was actually a big hit for them because it truly hit a new audience. But Kingdoms of Camelot was the first one. Then Dragon of Atlantis was like second or third. And everything after that was always smaller and smaller and smaller, always a fraction of what the previous one did. So that's no, but that's no, 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 that's not true. That's all they released. Those are the three games that they focused on. No, so the, there were no, plenty of games. Dude, I was at Kabam. Come on. They were, it's not on the 4X side. That was it for uh-huh. the 4X. They had the, 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 three, the three different games, right? And Godfather. Godfather was only on. Um, I don't think they ever brought that to. They didn't bring that to mobile. That was only. No, on. no, no, not on mobile. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, I'm talking about more on the browser base. Like the, no, no, the browser. Bra- sorry, the browser base thing is a completely different story. Browser base. Oh, okay, was, okay, okay, okay. Well, it was always was... a race to zero for browser based games. That was a freaking train wreck of a place. Well, yeah. I was thinking about that portfolio. Okay, that's a different story. You're totally right on that. Like the okay, more they release, good. the more they cannibalize themselves. It was yes. the same situation. Exactly what riots going to happen? What's going to happen to riot? <laughs> Is, is, right. <laughs> I mean, it, it happens over and over and over again. People just don't really kind of see it, or maybe it, except on mobile, except with Zynga, which you expect to hit twelve. <laughs> hit twelve. I'm sorry. What hit twelve? What do you mean by twelve? Twelve. Uh, twelve dollars a share. Oh, ten to twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, no. I but, mean, look, there's risks, right? And I, I don't think clearly investors are not really fully, fully, uh, uh, what is it? Signed off on this whole. Yeah model but we'll, but we'll see you know if they keep putting up the nums right if they keep yeah. beating and raising every quarter like i mean people are going to start to to see that they, this is for real right so we'll see okay let, let me tell you one thing how this does work so i think what's smart about releasing uh copies of your your, your hit game that is category leading and truly unique is that somebody else some small company on the side is thinking about hey let's do puzzle and empires with a diff- different theme or even your big competitor is thinking about do, doing the same thing. And if you release that faster with all the knowledge you have and all the experience, then you kind of close the market from new entrants. So that way you can continue growing and, and basically, yeah, just you create that, that product that somebody else would be thinking of. And that's a legit strategy. Right. All righty. I think that closes up. Yep. Is, is Adam still awake? What? Oh, so early. <laughs> Adam is about ready to have a baby, so uh, we won't see him for a while. And I and I'm, I'm wish him luck. Yeah. It's yeah. not easy. Yeah, we'll we'll see. But you never know when when they arrive. But um, yeah, yeah the I next, think his next wife couple... is involved as well. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, it's really I, somehow I'm out. not showing yet. Yeah. But um, no. So one be... one of these days, I'm gonna have to do my rant on why babies are terrible. Like why zero through four <laughs> are the worst times in your lives and, and all that stuff. But uh, not right now. I'm not and you're that. saying this while your kid is behind you. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, right now, he's, this is like the golden age of kid, right? Like between six and 10, right? They, they still think you're cool, right? But yeah. now we're getting into that part in which they think we're idiots and, 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 and uncool. And so they don't want anything <laughs> to do with us. So I kind of, I'm getting out of that golden cohort or golden age and into the hellish teenage years so anyway <laughs> your kid's just like shaking his head in the background yeah <laughs> yeah and what is he doing playing Fortnite? yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> listening to me curse anyway. all, right, all right guys, guys.
Catch you later. Bye. Good one. Bye.